Well, Merry Christmas. Um, every so often, Christmas happens to fall on a Sunday, and growing up as a pastor's kid, that means that I not only never got the option of whether or not I wanted to go to church on Sunday, but it also meant that we weren't going to celebrate Christmas until after service. And so I would have to endure several services of listening to my father preach once again. And then I'd come home ready to open up all the presents, but instead every year we'd sit down and he would open up his Bible again and then begin to read from Luke chapter 2. Now I thought listening to several sermons before would save us from another one, but I was always wrong. Now I'm a little different than my father, not by much. Um, I didn't make my children wait this morning. We already opened all of our presents, but I am going to read from Luke chapter 2. Now, we commonly refer to this passage as the Christmas story, um, and whether or not you've been to church on Christmas before or not, you've probably heard this passage. But we do need to hear this passage again, because it's part of the greatest story that was ever told. I want to remind you this morning, really just of the greatness of Jesus. I'm mean, alongside the angels, I want to herald and proclaim the good news of Christ's birth, um, and the news that's so good that 2,000 years later, we would take time out of our holiday to come here, be in this place, and to worship our Savior together. Um, so if you're able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 2, we'll read the first 21 verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Crinereus was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger, because there was no room or no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers and the flower fades, but our God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that as you thaw our pipes and our bodies, that you would also thaw our hearts. Um, that you would warm us with your love and that you would help us to see and to remind us of the greatness of the news that you came down and were born to save us. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So our first point this morning, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, is that Jesus is a better king. 
Um, Jesus is a better king. So Jesus is born. He is born not just as our Savior, but he is also born as a king. And much of the talk in these first two verses is meant to draw attention to Jesus' kingship. And Luke does this by drawing a contrast between Jesus and Caesar. So the story opens in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, all the world should be registered. This isn't just to give us a historical footnote. It's not just so you know where we are chronologically. Luke wants us to compare these two would-be kings between the powerful emperor in Rome and the humble God-king in the manger. But who is Augustus? You might need to brush up on your Roman history. I did. Um, Augustus, he is the first Roman emperor. He became, or he was, the adopted son of his uncle, Julius Caesar. He became the emperor after a bloody civil war where he defeated all of his rivals, including Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. He had called his father or his uncle, Julius Caesar, divine, and he claimed to be called the Son of God. He claimed also to be the Savior of the world because he brought peace everywhere, and he began the practice of worshiping Roman emperors. So Luke opens to talk about Caesar, and he does it knowing that his audience will know who Caesar is, and he does it with the hope that we would compare Jesus to this king. What we find is that the greatness of the emperor in Rome is no match for the greatness of the child born in Bethlehem because Jesus is a better king. You can see this already just in the mention of the world is being registered for the census. Okay, everyone has to go to their ancestral home to be counted. They got to be counted so Augustus can see how big his empire is and so he can raise taxes accordingly. It's a flex of his might and his power that after all, he commands all of the world has to do this. Everyone has to interrupt their plans. Even though Mary's pregnant, she's about to give birth. It might not even be safe for her to travel, but she has to because Caesar says so. But there's something that Caesar doesn't know. He thinks he's commanding the whole world. I mean, you got to feel powerful to make decisions that impact everyone, but he's actually submitting to God's plan because the Messiah was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. But Jesus' human parents live in Nazareth. Caesar is already submitting to Jesus, even though he doesn't know it. What might feel like him doing an elaborate show of power is nothing compared to the power of God. Because all of Augustus's political maneuvering, all those battles and wars between rivals and nations, every decision he's made leads up to this moment, and it's all just part of God's plan. So that he can fulfill the prophecy made 700 years ago in Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem... Aprathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Caesar thinks he's a king who commands the whole world, but Jesus has ruled the whole world since before it was spoken into existence. Caesar thinks he commands the whole world, but you look at a globe, Rome never really covered all of it, didn't even cover most of it. But Jesus commands every single inch. Not just the globe, but every star and planet in the cosmos. There are places in space that no human eye will see for a thousand years. Jesus already rules there, and he made it. Caesar moves people around like chess pieces so he can increase his taxes. Jesus moves people around so that he can redeem us and save us. Caesar calls himself the Savior because he shed blood and conquered his enemies. Jesus calls himself Savior because he sheds his own blood to save his enemies. And on the cross, Jesus forgives even those who torture and kill him. Caesar says he brought peace to the world, but his peace is false. It's built on the blood and bones of any who resisted, and his peace will not last a generation. But Jesus brings peace that passes all understanding. He brings a peace 
that we can experience even when life is falling apart and when Jesus returns, that peace will come again. And every sword and gun and weapon of man will be turned into farming tools because violence and war will be over because the Prince of Peace is here. But Jesus was born not just to bring peace between men and women and man. He was born to bring peace between us and God, to end sin and death and everything that separates us from Him. And there's only one king that can bring the peace we all long for, and that king isn't in Washington or Rome. He was born overseas in the Middle East in a small town called Bethlehem. So Jesus is a better king, but our second point is this. Jesus is better because he becomes one of us. Jesus is better because he becomes one of us. That's what makes today so special. What makes this story so significant is not just that Jesus decided to save us, is that he decides to save us by becoming one of us and not just fully human. Jesus is born into a very ordinary family. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger because there's no room for them in the inn or in the, the guest room. Because Joseph and Mary, okay, they're staying with family, but all the rooms are full. And the manger is probably part of the bottom floor, the common area, the living room, but that's also where the animals stay. So just like when family comes over, many of you might be experiencing this, okay, it can be difficult to arrange rooms for everyone. Okay, you got to decide who's getting the best room, who's getting the best beds, where are the kids going to go, and who's going to end up sleeping on the couch. Okay, Mary and Joseph get the couch. Jesus doesn't even appear to be the most important person in his house at this point. He's down with the animals, and his crib is a feeding trough, which doesn't sound quite as beautiful as a manger. But it's unbelievable that Jesus would do this. If I was God, if I could pick any family to be born into, I would have chosen Caesar's household, or at least choose a really important Jewish family. Pick the high priest. You could be his son. But Jesus chooses the ordinary. He becomes not just one of us as a human being, but he becomes an ordinary person. And we come to the shepherds in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appears to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. All of us would be terrified to see this. I mean, that same glory of the Lord that overshadows the temple and the tabernacle in Mount Zion and overshadowed Mary now overshadows the shepherds. And an angel in ten says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy will be for all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds get to hear the news that the Savior is born for everyone. Just ordinary, blue-collar, working shepherds. I have good news for you. Jesus was born for you. Every single one of us in this room is a part of all the people. Our Savior was born and God became one of us to save us. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, don't miss that. I, I never noticed this before. But the reason we know and we sing about Jesus being in the manger is because God wanted there to be a sign so that the shepherds could know which baby was Jesus. Because Jesus comes as such an everyday child in an ordinary family that a miracle's got to occur. There needs to be a big neon sign that points it out like the star for the Magi so they can see, hey, this is the one that's the Savior. And God wants them to see that they came to the right place. And so the shepherds leave their 99 sheep to come see the one Lamb of God. More in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. How many angels do you think that was? 
Okay, I normally just picture what I've seen in nativity plays, you know, so a handful of angels, maybe 20, however many you can fit up on a stage. Um, but it tells us there's a multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude that's usually used to describe the massive crowds that were following Jesus around in his ministry. And heavenly host is a fancy way of saying army of angels. So this is a massive amount of angels. Maybe a better question to ask isn't how many angels do you think were there, but how many angels do you think were not there? Okay, God has been planning for this moment since before he said, let there be light. He has been envisioning and knowing that we would need a Savior. And this is how he was going to do it. And he has teased it and he foreshadows it through every page of Scripture leading up to now. And here it comes. Okay, when I watch a movie and it gets to a crazy awesome part that I know is coming and is great because I've seen it before, I like to turn and watch Brianna's face, my wife, to see, okay, well, here, she hasn't seen it. I want to see how she reacts. Okay, how much even more greater than that do you think the angels feel when it comes to this moment? How much do you think they wanted to participate in telling everyone, Jesus is here, he's born, finally, go see him. I mean, I think every single angel available would show up if they weren't too busy. No, no, thanks, I got some extra work I want to get caught up on. No, 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 I'm coming, yes, let's go. And so for a few moments, I bet the sky was littered with more angels than there are stars. They blanketed the night sky and their voice probably boomed like thunder. This is one of the greatest moments in human history. Jesus is born. It's the reason we celebrate and it's the reason the angels sing, because our Savior is born. And our God is willing to humble himself and to step into ordinary life and to be one of us. And because Jesus is one of us, he can save us. Glory to God in the highest. And God chose to enter into human, ordinary human life to save us. And he came down because he loves us. And he came down to bring us the peace that can only come through his salvation. This is incredible news, but how can we respond? Point number three. And we should respond to Jesus with faith. We should respond to Jesus with faith. The first, shepherd's first response we see in 15 is they run to see, as well I would. Army of angels shows up, you do what they tell you to do, at least I would. Verse 15, when the shepherds went away, or the angels went away to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And they make haste to get there. I can only imagine what their conversation was like on their run, if they talked at all. I might be in too much shock to say anything. With 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard wondered about what the shepherds had told them. They find Jesus in the manger, and they know, and they say, this is the Messiah. This is the Lord. This is Christ. This is our Savior. Had to be a little awkward before they got there, right? I don't know how many doors they knocked on before they found the one where Jesus was. But they do, and all along the way, they have been telling all who heard what the angels said. The Messiah is born, and He's here. They didn't just tell Mary and Joseph. They told the family they were staying with and probably several people in town as they're searching and trying to find where he is. And all of those people who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. In that moment, every single person had a decision to make. Every single relative of Mary and Joseph, every individual shepherd, maybe even every animal in the house, how will you respond to the news that the Savior is here? They all have a decision and the primary decision is, will you believe? Will you not? Will you have faith? We see how Mary responds in verse 19. 
But Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. Something amazing to notice is Mary doesn't get special access to salvation or even special access to God. Even though she carries the Savior in her womb, even though she is blessed above all women, she still needs to ponder and respond rightly to the Savior with faith. And she does. She treasures all the words of the shepherd. She holds them tight in her heart. They don't go in one ear and out the other. They sink deep down to her bones. And she responds with quiet faith. The shepherds respond a little more loudly in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as had been told to them. Imagine they leave in a Congo line of dancing and singing and celebrating as they go back to their sheep. In my head, I kind of picture something like the celebrations I saw right of the Argentinians after they won the World Cup. You just saw cities covered and the loud, large groups of men in the soccer team just dancing and filled with joy and celebration. How much more would the celebration have been of these shepherds to know that their salvation was here? And it's not because they love to see cute babies. It's because they know salvation has come. And their response is one of loud joy. Now notice, both Mary and the shepherds' responses are valid. And they're both responses of faith. Okay, some of you are loud people. Some of you are quiet people. You don't have to out yourself. The loud people normally do quickly. <laughs> I'm not one of them. That's why I say that. But all of us can and all of us should respond to Jesus with faith. The point of this passage is not that we must sing loudly. The point is that we need to respond in faith. Whether our faith is loud and joyful and outwardly like the shepherds or whether our faith is, in, faith is inwardly pondering, we need to respond in faith believing that Jesus really is the Savior who was born to save us. Now, all of us um, probably have busy days today. I don't know what the rest of your holiday looks like. Mine looks like spending seven hours in a car driving to Nebraska with a two- and four-year-old. Okay, so much like the shepherds, all of us are about to return to our ordinary, regular lives. We have to return to our days. Okay, but when we return to our life and whatever our program is, we can and we should return in faith. We can return having believed and been reminded that Jesus is our Savior. Or we can return having rejected Him. But all of us will decide. And you have to decide. Whether you actively do or not, you're always making a decision. Because this is not just a cute story. This is not a fairy tale or make-believe. This story is the foundation of our hope. It is our only hope in life and death. And that hope, the hope of Jesus, is available to anyone who wants it, but you have to respond. And I hope you respond in faith. If you're here and you're not a believer, I want to invite you to respond in faith. There's not a magical way you must respond. You can respond by talking to me or an elder after the service. You can respond by praying quietly in your chair. You can even respond by loudly shouting up and singing in song that you believe Jesus is the Savior. But however you choose to respond, I hope and I invite you to respond with faith. Now, if you are a Christian, you also need to respond in faith too. Don't be too distracted. And as you return to your day with its stresses and joys, return filled with faith in Jesus. Faith that Jesus, your Savior, is born and that God became one of us because He loves you. I hope that all of us have faith, whether it is quiet or whether it is loud. Put your faith in Jesus. So in summary, where we've been this morning, we just talked about and been reminded that Jesus is a better king. Jesus is better because He becomes 
one of us, and we should respond with faith in Jesus our King. We're going to transition in a moment to a time of observing communion, which is going to give all of us a chance to respond spiritually and physically to the coming of Jesus. Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, I ask. Well, first, I just thank you. Lord, thank you for coming. It was the greatest present any of us could ever hope for. It is beyond what any of us could ever think or even ask. You came and were born to save us. We do not deserve it. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to have faith. If there are those here who do not know you, that you would draw them and invite them into faith with you. Those of us who do know you, Lord, that you would come and be close to us, that you would um, inflame the love in our hearts for you, that you would strengthen and encourage our faith that as we go throughout the rest of our day, Lord, we would be filled with joy and peace that doesn't come from happiness or family or good food, but that comes from knowing you as our Savior. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Hear this benediction from the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace and joy. Merry Christmas.